0: From Washington, D.C., across the nation and around the world, stand by for an overview of the hottest topics and people being discussed on air, online, at the coffee shop and across the backyard fence. Powered by the research of Talkers magazine, the national conversation, it's time for the Michael Harrison Wrap. Here's Michael Harrison.
1: Thank you, Victoria Jones. Monday, January 24th through Friday, January 28th, 2022. It was a week highlighted by health, military, political, public safety, economic and weather crises. Other than that... Everything is beautiful. We're about to embark upon a power-packed hour of Black Belt Talk Radio during which your tolerance for hearing different but legitimate points of view will be tested. We've got lefties, we've got righties, and we've got fence-sitters. Please don't get angry. Just listen closely. And while doing so, I encourage you to maintain a degree of educated skepticism regardless of whether or not you agree. We'll be joined by Kevin Casey, John Batchelor, Harry Hurley, Victoria Jones, Nanette Holt, and Josh Hammer, an impressive array of influential opinionated yappers from across the country with microphones, smartphones, and digital recording devices sharing their observations and the feelings of their target constituents, with whom they do a daily dance of affirmation in a fragmented, noisy world where we try to avoid the modern-day syndrome of seeking victory at the expense of truth. Welcome to the Michael Harrison Rap, heard coast-to-coast and around the world on great radio stations across the U.S. and the U.K. The past week's hottest political and social topics discussed in the American talk media. Information's gathered from a variety of sources, including data tracked by the broadcasting trade publication Talkers Magazine, of which I'm editor and publisher. Okay, here we go. Joining us now is Kevin Casey, executive editor of Talkers Magazine. Kevin, give us a rundown of the 10 most talked about stories on talk shows in America this past week.
2: Thank you, Michael. At number 10, this week's severe winter weather tied with climate change. As we speak on Friday, the East Coast is bracing for a powerful snow and ice storm with howling winds and dangerous flooding.
1: It's a weekend nor'easter described as a bomb cyclone that could alter ultimately impact 55 million Americans from the Mid-Atlantic states to New England.
2: At number 9 in the NFL playoffs, this is the weekend of the conference championship games in the AFC and NFC that will determine which two teams make it to the Super Bowl. Meantime, people are still talking about last week's Divisional Championships, which were nail biters and great TV, drawing very high ratings. The Green
1: Bay Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers, whose first seed team was surprisingly eliminated last week, is getting sacked by many detractors on social media for his role in the vaccine controversy, or so he claims. Kevin, you're an owner of the legendary team from Wisconsin. Please come back later in the show, and we'll discuss this issue in greater depth.
2: At number 8, Big Tech social media bias tied with the Neil Young Spotify flap. YouTube continues to kick conservative radio talk show hosts off its platform as its arbitrary algorithms weed out statements and positions that don't meet its so-called standards of correctness.
1: Meantime, rock legend Neil Young has generated a buzz by pulling his music off Spotify and encouraging other artists to do the same in protest of what he claims is its practice of hosting vaccine misinformation by commentators such as Joe Rogan.
2: At number seven, the Florida Surgeon General confirmation hearings tied with Donald Trump's role in the GOP. Sunshine State Democrats walked out of the confirmation hearings in protest of what they described as Governor Ron DeSantis's nominee, Joseph Ladapo's refusal to give straight answers about the vaccines.
1: Republicans claim otherwise, that Ladapo was simply refusing to be painted into a corner. Meanwhile, DeSantis' popularity as a potential rival to Donald Trump in 2024. Or perhaps a running mate continues to grow
2: at number six race relations tied with voting rights voting rights continue to be a raging controversy even after the senate rejected the democrats recent effort to enact laws to support such legislation as a counterbalance to what's been happening in red states across the nation and
1: this is one of the main points of contention driving conversation about race relations in america
2: at number five the january 6 investigation tied with the 2022 midterm elections the Democrats continue to race against the midterm elections clock, gathering testimonies and evidence tying former President Donald Trump to the violent events at the nation's capital on January 6th of last year. And
1: the former president continues to feel the pressure of other investigations breathing down his neck, including big ones in New York and Georgia.
2: At number four, the economy tied with crime and violence. The new numbers indicating notable growth in the economy are still being offset by the continual rise in the inflation rate, particularly in fuel, food, and housing, much of which is being driven by disruption to the supply chain.
1: The spike in urban crime and violence isn't helping matters as major chains continue to close stores in urban centers due to unrestrained incidents of shoplifting.
2: At number three, Justice Breyer announces his coming retirement from the Supreme Court. Liberal Associate Justice Stephen Breyer made a big splash in the national conversation by announcing his intention to retire at the end of this year's session.
1: By retiring at an early point in Biden's term, Breyer gives the president the opportunity to nominate another liberal judge to replace him on the conservative leaning bench. You can be sure the hearings will be contentious come February when the president appoints what he promises will be
2: a black female justice. At number two, the Russia-Ukraine crisis tied with US-China relations. The military presence on the border between Russia and its strategically positioned former Soviet satellite state continues to grow taking center stage in international concerns and providing President Biden with yet another headache.
1: Vladimir Putin is operating under significant domestic pressure to protect Mother Russia's borders from what his countrymen perceive as a mounting threat from NATO. Meantime, on the China front, our frenemies in the CCP are dealing with the distraction of the dystopian Beijing Winter Olympics, which are about to kick off next Wednesday.
2: And at number one this week, COVID-19 vaccines, masks and mandates. As the Omicron variant continues to run through its paces, with various experts saying a variety of things about what we can expect next... The pharmaceutical companies continue to design new specifically targeted vaccines to combat the problem.
1: Which in turn is creating confusion as to whether currently available boosters are the way to go or for folks to simply wait for the next iteration of the vaccines themselves. It comes down to the public trying to determine the truth in what seems like a fine line between gross medical misinformation and healthy debate between legitimate medical options. Thank you, Kevin Casey from Talkers Magazine. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap. Let's head over to New York City and visit with a legendary Talkers Heavy 100 radio talk show host considered to be one of the medium's leading experts on U.S. foreign affairs, John Batchelor of CBS Radio. What's your take on what's going on right now uh, between Russia, the Ukraine, and the position that Joe Biden finds himself in, in dealing with it?
3: Two different worlds, Michael, and it's a pleasure to speak. One world says diplomacy is the way out. It always is. No matter what the depth of the crisis, diplomacy is the exogram. The other world, all the way over here, is very gloomy and worried, very worried, because there are forces now arrayed against each other on the other side of the Russian Federation border, and accidents happen when so many men and, and so much material and so many decisions are being made all of a sudden. So two different worlds. I don't live on either of them, but I hear from both of
1: them. When you say two different worlds, um, do you feel that a a major conflict could erupt because of an accident uh, that uh, with, with you know somebody taking a shot at somebody or, or some type of a little flare-up could escalate that actually could lead to um, major conflict?
3: Uh, the concern is that there are different agendas, different ambitions here in Kiev or in Donbass or in Moscow or in Brussels, NATO. And we're in an escalation cycle. The time to turn an escalation cycle off is right away. I'm told this is what history says. If you don't turn it off right away, it has its own logic. And that's the alarm bells that I'm hearing. Now, again, this is the world of gloom. There's the world of promise over here that says the diplomats will work this out. What will that look like? The Ukraine, since the end of the Soviet Union, has been a problem for Moscow. The problem is that Ukraine is integrated into Moscow's sense of security. Of all the near abroad states, and they ring Russian Federation, Ukraine is the fundamental because it has access to the Black Sea and access to the Mediterranean. It also is traditional since Peter the Great, part of Russia. So, therefore, it's in the mythology that Ukraine is Russian. That is not the case now. It hasn't been since the end of the Cold War. What this means is that we have a vital interest for Moscow that strikes NATO as none of Moscow's business. Ukraine is a state, a sovereign state. What is the compromise? The compromise is that at some point NATO and Ukraine and the Russian Federation convene a conversation to construct a neutrality treaty for 10 or 20 years, in which Ukraine would promise not to violate that neutrality and attempt to join NATO. NATO would promise not to bring Ukraine in for 10 or 20 years. The Russian Federation signs on to this, and we stand down. That's what a compromise would look like. I emphasize, however, that a compromise like that takes a lot of talk, a lot of meetings, a lot of disappointments that may be where we are now that's the rosy scenario planet
1: and and that would be that would be good for both uh, the russian federation and for ukraine if they were able to do that they'd both have their cake and eat it um, if i'm if i'm correct does does that make sense to you i mean wouldn't they yes
3: yes you know, yes i agree with you michael we agree with each other the funny thing about history is that you find the logical position and then you realize they didn't do it so why not the, the another possibility uh, right now, Russia's concerned about the forces at its border, and they're moving very quickly, a lot of deployment, not just U.S., but troops from across NATO. It's possible that both sides, again, reciprocity, could agree that when they're exercising their troops, there are schedules, they tell each other, and they don't put their troops up against the border. That is possible. There are other compromises. Uh, they're called Confidence-building measures, and diplomats are really good at it. All of that on rosy scenario plans. And I'd like to believe we're moving in that direction.
1: Does, is, is Putin facing a, a terribly difficult set of challenges um, in keeping Russia together? Um, I hear that he's under tremendous internal pressure.
3: I, I repeat what I've been told because you ask a very big question. Russia is a power has been a power for hundreds of years, at least since Peter the Great, if not before. It has a mythology, the way we do in the United States, but it's profoundly different than ours. Rodina, the motherland, the, the inspiration of all of our stories and fairy tales. And therefore, the the answer is, it's never actually thought of itself anything other than the great Russia, greater Russia. Mm-hmm. It really believes fundamentally, profoundly, that it is threatened by NATO. It really believes that unless it defends its borders, it will be once again invaded or broken or treated badly or humiliated. It believes this. It's not a posture on their part. We have other myths in the the U.S. in other directions. So Vladimir Putin, as the Tsar, because he functions as, as the Tsar, has a responsibility to that myth And the people at the Kremlin have a responsibility to that myth. They must defend the motherland. And that is why the patriotism we hear from them is genuine.
1: Do you think that Joe Biden is up to this task?
3: I don't know his capabilities. I do know he has a professional apparatus that gives him good information. And really, the thing that worries me most, to answer your question as closely as I can, no one is good at this because it's dangerous, Michael. It's dangerous where we are. Uh, Boris Johnson's in trouble. Uh, um, Macron's running for a re-election. A new government in Germany that is disposed towards Moscow. Everyone is moving around. So uh, what I believe right now is our president, for his for his restrictions, is is getting good information. He has personal restrictions. He has political restrictions. He has a party that has ambitions in many directions domestically. Again, I don't have the full picture. I wish I did. Uh, What I have is that we've got an unknown here for the foreign policy people I'm talking to. In London, in Paris, I talked to Berlin this week. Michael, do you know that the Berliners and the people of Germany believe that the U.S. is making a spectacle of itself? That they say, give Putin what he wants. Uh, How about that irony? that the country that's most disposed to a compromise and a stand down is Germany. So when you come back to your question about the president of the United States, I think he's in a, in a posture right now where there is no easy escape. We'll talk about this for the next 70 or 80 years if we get out of it. And I also believe it'll come back. I don't think it's going to be solved by whatever that compromise is I recommended to you. I think what I've been told If there is a compromise, if there is reciprocity, it will last for so long, and then we'll be back at it. Ukraine is a crisis. It's a global crisis, and it will be with us for the balance of our lives.
1: That's CBS Radio syndicated talk show host John Batchelor. Coming up next, a trip to Denver, Colorado, and a conversation with Ross Kaminsky of radio station KOA. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap. Great bands of the golden age of album rock, Gunhill Road, has been around for more than 50 years. The members of Gunhill Road are Steve Goldrich, Paul Reich, Glenn Leopold, Brian Kuhnin, and yours truly, Michael Harrison. I wrote the lyrics to a song on our new album, What Year Is This? It's titled I Know You're Real. It's about the relationship between human beings and our friends in the animal kingdom.
4: I Know You're Real.
1: A moment to write down the following web address to see the music video of this inspirational song that contains some wonderful animal images that will rock your heart and soothe your soul. Here's the address, write it down. i know you are real.com. That's i know you are real.com. If you love animals, you'll feel real good after seeing this video. i know you are real. Continuing now with the Michael Harrison rap. As the saying goes, it's the economy, stupid. Let's discuss the economy with Talker's Heavy 100 member Harry Hurley, the morning mayor of Atlantic City, New Jersey, heard daily on our affiliate WPG. Harry, the economy is all over the place just like everything else. New reports come in, say it's growing at a tremendous rate faster than, I think, all the way back to ancient times. Uh, You you read one thing, it says one thing, you hear another thing, it says another thing. What's your take on the economy this week?
5: Isn't it a great dichotomy that one number can be true and look so good, another number can be true and look so bad? It, It truly is a tale of two cities. It reminds me back the days of it's the economy stupid because people if you try to convince someone that we're growing at a rate we haven't grown at since 1984 no one is going to believe that even though it is true what they do know though is one year ago inflation was 1.4 percent and now it is close to 8 percent and if you factor in food and energy it's well into double digits it's a problem so when people hear the one good number they don't feel good because things don't feel good right now. The inflation alone for the lowest and middle income earners in America relates to a $5,000 minimum tax increase each year. It's a problem. Uh, The Fed was wrong. The Fed has been excellent during the pandemic, but they were absolutely wrong when they said that inflation was transitory. It's not. And this is going to be here for at least a year, maybe longer.
1: Uh, But you don't think it's going to be like the 70s where it went for years?
5: No, I don't think it'll be like the 70s because I just don't think we'll allow that to happen again. I remember uh, right around the late 70s, early 1980-ish, and even with AAA credit, if you went to buy a home, it was 17.5% mortgage rate. If you went to buy a new car, it was 21.6%. The reason I know that is I did both. Uh, So we're not going to see anything like that. And although some people don't understand it, these rate increases are necessary. It is crazy how you have to actually create pain to actually solve the problem. And that's where we're at.
1: I'd like to see um, savings uh, interest rates go up. Uh, Well, they will. You know, that um, I remember back in the 70s. um, I mean, the interest rates were extraordinary. Um, And if you had a few bucks in the bank... It actually provided income as opposed to a safe place to watch your dollars diminish in value.
5: Uh, well, yeah. Well, that's the other thing that's absolutely a true statement. If you have high lending rates, you will have higher yields. Remember, it wasn't long ago they were talking about negative rates. In other words, if you parked your money in a demand deposit account, they were talking about you having to pay that not only would it not be zero interest and you could just keep it there, they were going to have you pay to keep your money parked, which some countries actually did in Europe and elsewhere. Uh, so, yes, both are true. We will have higher yields. Uh, people are seeing the highest Social Security increase that they've seen, called COLA, cost of living adjustment. Uh, so all that is true, but if things cost so much more beyond your increase, it's a net net loser,
1: and that's really the, it's 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 like sports betting. It's the margins.
5: <laughs> yes, well, that's why the, the bookies want the tie game. They win on the vig. Yeah, uh, yeah true
1: it's uh, now in the real estate market you you live in a home you you have a house uh, so yeah. obviously you're aware of this um uh, th- that's that's topsy turvy the people in the real estate business can't seem to understand why all of a sudden the housing is is going up so high and of course again you know you hear you hear people in real estate going it's hot the market is great this, the, you know everything is wonderful of course unless you're trying to buy something um and if you own a home and you go well now's the time to sell uh, you only wind up in a situation where you have to put the, the, the money that you made into a an overpriced next house.
5: And, and you have to be able to find the house, uh, which mm-hmm. is very challenging. So that is indeed true again. It's another um, tale of two cities. Real estate is scorching hot, but the supply is incredibly small. And that's in almost all markets, not only to buy a home, buy an existing home, look at the cost to try to do new construction with the cost of materials going up the way that it has. And even finding a place to rent is very, very challenging. And,
1: and rents, rents are going up tremendously uh, as well.
5: So, Well, let me give you an example, Michael. I know you know Florida very well. You're a very well-traveled man. A very dear friend of mine just told me that where his son lives, they just raised the rate from 2000 a month to $4,000 a month in one year.
1: That's frightening. That's, that, that's, very, that's very scary. And when you think about people who um, are renting and maybe living uh, from paycheck to paycheck, uh, that can just absolutely throw your, your life into a, a, a total uh, turmoil.
5: Yeah, it's unsustainable. Um, yeah,
1: yeah, a lot of people, are, a lot of people are suffering. But the uncertainty of it all, and the other part of the uncertainty is the stock market. Oh, it's
5: roaring! <laughs> it's what and what a ride that's been. Yeah. you know, in the recent week or two.
1: So, so basically, to, to summarize the unsummarizable, there's a disconnect. I don't remember there being such a disconnect between the various elements that make up an economy in my lifetime. Does it appear that way to you, that, that, that the key to it all is that nothing makes any sense when you put the pieces of the puzzle together? There's no clear picture?
5: Yes, I wrote a column uh, recently titled, America is Broken. Not a political column it's just a reality go to the store and try to find chicken we were just talking about it somebody just sent me a photo of a store that's never been out of chicken shelves are bare we have a and i think the first of all the comment you made was spot on and i'll tell you what I, why i think that is the um the current dilemma that we're dealing with our supply chain remains broken we have to fix the supply chain that's a big part of the uncertainty. And, of course, with that supply and demand, the prices keep going up, and it's really affecting uh, the American people in in a very, um, very, very uh, damaging way, where you just don't know if you can find what you want. And if you find what you want, how much is it going to cost?
1: That's Harry Hurley of our Atlantic City, New Jersey affiliate, WPG. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap. There's a tremendous amount of talk this week about the Supreme Court and, of course, the pandemic. Let's touch base with our always up to speed Washington correspondent, the executive director of the D.C. radio company, Victoria Jones. What's the vibe in Washington over uh, the pending Supreme Court situation?
0: Oh, it always gets buzzy. You know, um, ap- apparently the drinks dives, um, socially distanced, of course, are uh, are humming with, the, with it and with names of potential jurists, um, uh, black female jurists, because that's what President Biden says that he is going to nominate um, a black woman. Uh, and of course, she would be liberal. She would be left leaning. That's what he says he's going to do. Um, and it's going to be somebody who is going to be uh, not It doesn't have to be a lawyer, of course, which is very interesting. Um, And um, Breyer has said that he will stay on the court until the end of the session or until the new justice is appointed. So he's not going to leave it to be sort of six to two, which uh, which would be a a very, very strong conservative court. So yeah, DC is a buzz.
1: You mentioned something interesting about social distancing, of course, and I want to get back to the discussion about the Supreme Court. But um, in the pubs and in the watering holes, are people social distancing? Because there's this other adjacent story about uh, Sarah Palin. Not that she's a Washington person; she would have liked to have been. But um, word is that she was caught having dinner in a restaurant after um, being um, diagnosed with COVID. Are are the people in the uh, political class and the pundit class and the press class in Washington, do, do they observe the, the general, you know, expectations of um, wearing masks, being careful, not hugging, kissing, sitting on each other's laps, and all the other stuff that goes on during <laughs> normal times?
0: <laughs> well, as for sitting on each other's laps, Washington, D.C. is a bit of a cesspool um, behind <laughs> the scenes, and I, and I can't speak to any details on that. Um, yes, Sarah Palin was caught. It was at a very nice restaurant on the Upper East Side. She was in one of those outdoor tent things where you you do not you have to say that you're vaccinated. So it was she, she got around it that way in D.C. Yes, people do wear masks um, and they do sort of socially distance. But a lot of the restaurants in D.C. have quite close seating. And of course, you take your mask off. I have nobody seems to have developed a way of drinking through a mask. <laughs>
1: Somebody would make a lot of money if they figured out how to have a a sealed straw come through the mask. Of course, you'd look like some kind of an insect, but uh, who knows uh, what would happen. But back to the uh, Supreme Court. What do you think? Do you think that it's wise for the president to say, I'm going to nominate a black woman uh, as opposed to just nominate a black woman and not make a deal about it? uh you know, the political correctness that we deal with and, and and all of the 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 debate over racial relations, race relations come to play here. What's your what's your instinct about saying it's a black woman as opposed to, I'm going to nominate somebody. It just happens to be when it happens, a black woman, as opposed to the gender and the race um, neon sign placed up in front.
0: He sort of backed himself into a corner because he already said it on the campaign trail. So if he hadn't followed through by saying it again, he would have faced uproar on the left that, oh, is Biden backing off this now? Is that not what he's going to do? So he sort of had to say it again. But he he backs himself in.
1: He did back himself in. I didn't say is he... Uh, making a mistake or or playing politics for show, you know, uh, uh, for show purposes by saying it. He still could have nominated a black woman. And then if he didn't, then people would say, hey, you had said, but just the idea of telegraphing it. Um, I, I just wonder what kind of game that is. I, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's I'm a out.
0: game. It's a game. And I, I think it's much more interesting to not signal anything about who you're going to nominate and make us all wait.
1: That's Victoria Jones of the D.C. Radio Company. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap. My podcast, The Michael Harrison Interview this week, features a deep dive with one of the bright young thought leaders in the American conservative movement. He's the op-ed section editor of Newsweek Magazine, which is about to launch his podcast and syndicated radio show. He's a 32-year-old constitutional lawyer with a next-gen perspective on politics. Here's a small segment of my podcast interview with Josh Hammer. Okay, as as a person who is concerned about the young people uh, coming up within the Conservative movement uh, about um, uh, an intellectual, high-level uh, approach to conservative thinking. What's your what's your take on Donald Trump?
6: So look, uh, I was a I mentioned that I've known Ted Cruz for a while. Okay, so I was a huge Cruz supporter back in 2016. I, I ultimately did not go for Trump myself in, in, in 2016. I obviously did not vote for Hillary Clinton, but I, I, I was kind of you know very very loyal to Cruz, and if you recall, how bitter that. That primary fight was. I, I sure remember. at the end of the day to, to pull the ballot for for Trump. I, I certainly became a, a a big supporter of his. I mean, I I you know I supported the vast majority of the agenda that he sought to do. wasn't always the most effective at executing on his instincts. But his instincts were were generally correct as president. I mean, certainly. You know, he has some accomplishments. I mean, like the Abraham Accords, in the Middle East, the, the peace agreements with Israel, UAE, Morocco, and so forth. I mean, just incredible stuff. I mean, like that alone won the Nobel Prize for literally any other president not named Donald J. Trump. And, you know, on the Chinese, you know, he really was kind of the first president since Nixon's trip to visit Chairman Mao in the 1970s to, uh, to talk about and advance some policies to kind of dispute this premise that the best way to kind of um, nurture political liberalism in China is to kind of welcome them to the family of nations. He was was really kind of the first president to intuit that that is BS, that is total nonsense, and that that the time is right and proper for more punitive measures, be they tariffs or, um, you know, all sorts of kind of um, strategic alliances in the foreign sphere. So he really did kind of, I think, intuit a a, a lot of great stuff. You know, having said that, Um, The column that I wrote, and I read a weekly syndicated column, you you can find it at, uh, the column that I wrote after January 6th, 2021, was I basically said, look, at this point, if Trump cares about the movement that he helped spawn, and he really was necessary. I mean, as you can tell, I am less than fully impressed with the accomplishments of a lot of, you know, the elders of Conservatism, Inc., if you will. So I, I think that's his force as a wrecking ball was deeply important, and I didn't quite see that at the time in 2016, but it really was quite necessary in retrospect. But after January 6th, you know, the comment I wrote, he's got to go away. And I kind of resigned myself that he probably won't because he's Donald Trump, and if it's one thing that Donald Trump cares about, it's Donald Trump, so it's just not in his nature to go away. But I would strongly prefer that he go away and you know, I mean, look. I'm living. I, I live here in Miami, Florida. I moved here a few months ago. Uh, I, I was up in Tallahassee just a couple of weeks ago with with uh, seven or eight others. We had a really nice kind of off the record dinner with Governor DeSantis. So. Uh, I I certainly would love to see Governor DeSantis be president one day, but uh, I do not think Trump is just going to walk away. It's it's just not in his nature.
1: That's Josh Hammer, the opinion editor of Newsweek and host of Newsweek's brand new Josh Hammer podcast and radio show. What you just heard is a small segment excerpted from this week's installment of my podcast, The Michael Harrison Interview. You can hear the deep dive version at mhinterview.com. Coming up next, a trip to what many of its residents are calling the freest state in the Union as we continue our Ron DeSantis watch. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap.
7: This report is brought to you by Genesis 2 Project, G2P. Recently, the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, the ODNI, released a preliminary report on possible threats posed by UFOs, now known as Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, UAP, and the progress the Department of Defense, UAP Task Force, has made in understanding any threats. Dr. J.C. Van Velkenberg is a former Los Alamos National Lab biophysicist who has been working with G2P to bring scientifically sound UAP data to the public.
4: G2P has released the first scientifically authenticated documentation of UAPs, including images captured with infrared technology. Primo Forensics performed the digital forensic analysis.
7: In tandem with the ODNI report, these data support the development of relevant processes, policies, technologies, and training for the U.S. military and government personnel upon encountering UAP. Visit genesis2project.com.
1: Continuing now with the Michael Harrison Wrap as we discuss the hottest topics of the past week in the national conversation. There's tremendous interest across the nation in what's happening in Florida, especially the activities of its high-profile governor. Joining us now is a reporter for the Epic Times, whose main beat is covering news of national relevance coming out of the Sunshine State, Nanette Holt, let me ask you, there's so much interest in Governor DeSantis as a potential presidential candidate or running mate or a major figure, at least, within the GOP. What's it like covering him as part of your beat? How, how is it being a reporter working with him and his administration from a standpoint of covering the news?
4: Oh uh, Well, first, I have to say I'm honored to be with you. I love, love what you do in recapping news. And... I- Since covering uh, DeSantis became a big part of my life, I got to tell you, I don't sleep much. Uh, Apparently, he doesn't sleep much, so uh, every morning I I wake up, usually, to find out that he's going to have a press conference, and it's very important for us to cover it because he's always saying something that becomes of national news, um, something that's of interest to people across the country, sometimes around the world, so uh, we can't miss it. Uh, We got to be there. So sleep has
1: become a thing of the past. Um, it's very interesting that um, uh, when Donald Trump became president, reporters were saying the same thing, and actually it lasted for four years that they're not getting a, a sleep like they used to. That 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 he could be putting out a tweet, or he could be having uh, some type of an impromptu press conference on the way to the helicopter, and that there was always there was always news. Um, so so DeSantis is in that mold, is what you're
4: saying. Well, really is. And, you know, joking aside about about the sleep issue, we just have to pay very close attention to him because he is constantly pushing back on Washington. And that becomes very newsworthy around the country because a a lot of what he has done has been to start conversations about things that other people were afraid to talk about, it seems. Uh, Our readers seem to think that he's willing to mention the elephant in the room when no one else will. How, and, friendly,
1: how friendly is he to the press, uh, his administration, his press office? Are they accessible? Uh, do they stonewall? Uh, what's it like just in terms of the mechanics of covering him in terms of how accessible they are?
4: You know, I think they're very busy. Uh, I think they are more accessible than actually some of the other state agencies that we try to cover well and quickly and accurately as things are happening so that's nice they uh, certainly stay busy but they are a friendly group they're a younger group than I expected um, I've been doing life on this earth for uh, more than half a century now and I'm, I'm often quite surprised at how um, capable his staff is in light of how young
1: they are, so there's, so there's a feeling of competence. I know a lot of reporters claim, uh, just in general, that they get frustrated by the incompetence of staffers and aides and uh, you know the people that surround the uh, the politician. It's uh, that's encouraging to hear. Um, what what's the buzz in Florida about the flap that happened this week with um, the confirmation hearings for uh, Surgeon General uh, Joseph uh, Latipo? Uh, what are some insights we could get from you on that?
4: Well, i got to say, Floridians, more than ever, are aware that we are being held up as a freedom state. Uh, I I say we because I've lived here all my life. I'm a sixth-generation Floridian. And what I'm hearing from people is they really like that we have these folks in office who will say what no one else seems to be willing to say. So when Dr. Latipo pushed back, a little bit is is the way I'm seeing it on some narrative uh, or what he feels is narrative. You know, other people around our state were really happy that he didn't go along to get along. He uh, basically would not be um, he was not willing to answer certain pointed questions about vaccination efficacy and uh, whether vaccinations were slowing the spread of Omicron. And I think a lot of people in our state felt That it was time somebody did not just go along with that narrative and said what a lot of people in Florida seem to be thinking, which is, hey, this vaccine might not be working, what are we doing so, Why are we continuing to push it?
1: So whereas a lot of the uh, media portrayed him as, um, you know, uh, stonewalling and not being willing to uh, be transparent and forthcoming, some painted him as being uh, uh, unknowledgeable about certain things, uh, you see it and uh, many Floridians or maybe most Floridians see it as him not going along to get along and uh, not being painted into a corner of answering questions that uh, don't have easy answers. That's basically what I gather you're saying.
4: Well, exactly. I mean, I think that by not saying, yes, vaccines are something I believe in wholeheartedly, I think that was his answer. Um, And I think Floridians, from what I'm hearing, really appreciate that, because he's saying what a lot of them are thinking.
1: That's Nanette Holt, a reporter who covers Florida for the Epoch Times. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap. We have time for one more. There's a lot of exciting football action happening as the NFL playoffs are attracting huge ratings and rave reviews, especially last weekend's divisional round in which a couple of first seeds spit the dust. Joining us now is Kevin Casey, the executive editor of Talkers Magazine. So, Kevin, earlier in the program when we did the countdown, I made the reference and uh, didn't follow up on it that uh, you are a uh, co-owner of the Green Bay Packers. (laughs) Before we get into that, I'm sure some people go, what? Uh, uh, What did I mean by that?
8: Uh, well, you meant that I have one share of the Green Bay Packers Incorporated. In fact, as I sit in my office, I'm staring at it on the wall right now, a little certificate. Uh, you, for several times in the history of the Packers, they've issued uh, stock sales. This is not regular stock. It can't be traded, can't be sold. But basically, what it does is you exchange money for this piece of stock, and the Packers get to use it in various ways. And uh, it also allows you one thing that most people get with stock is it does allow you to vote in certain situations. And I'm allowed to vote on board of directors and things like that. So that's what you get.
1: And don't you get an annual stockholders meeting? Doesn't that happen?
8: Yeah, that's right. You can go to the shareholders meeting, which, of course, if you're a Packers fan, it's held in Lambeau Field in the spring. And it's basically an excuse to go drink beer and listen to the GM talk about the state of the team.
1: And and, and that all started because of um, the fact that Green Bay is is, is not your typical NHL. NFL Town. I mean, how uh, this is a different ownership structure than any other team that I know of. Explain.
8: Yeah, it's unique. It's the only one that isn't owned by a person or a family. It is owned by the corporation. And the reason that it was done that way is because Green Bay was in 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 very serious danger of of failing as a team on numerous occasions, sometimes going back into the the 30s, et cetera. But uh, uh, the the structure was set up in the 50s so that a small market team like Green Bay could stay where it was because it was considered, you know, one of the original teams, and people wanted to stay that way. In fact, strangely, little NFL trivia for you: uh, Bears owner uh, George Halas worked with uh, the. I guess, the head of the Green Bay Packers at the time, Curly Lambeau, to help make sure that the Packers stayed in Green Bay. George Hallis saw the value of the rivalry and didn't want Green Bay to move to, you know, Arizona or something.
1: So so Lambeau Field is named after a fellow named Curly Lambeau?
8: Curly Lambeau, the original, um, I guess, the original coach and then maybe the general manager of the Green Bay Packers uh, going back and... um you know apparently it's funny depending upon who you talk to not considered to be a nice guy as nor was george hallis both were considered to be kind of rough irascible characters
1: and the name packers comes from i believe meat packers i, I always yeah, thought it was they packed they, a punch you know but <laughs>
8: Exactly. When I was a kid, I thought the same thing. I said, oh, they really packed them in, but now they were originally, a lot of teams were sponsored by, in the very beginning of the NFL, they were sponsored by corporations, and um, the Green Bay Packers were originally sponsored by the Indian Meat Packing Company. That lasted one year, and then they uh, became sponsored by the Acme meatpacking packing
1: company. Oh, well, it, it just says a great-sounding name, the Green Bay Packers. When I was a kid growing up in New York, I I was fascinated by them because of the you know the legend of Vince Lombardi and their colorful uh, uniforms and their name and, and 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 you know who who knew where Green Bay was, was you know nobody ever heard of Green Bay growing up on uh, in New York and Long Island other than that team, uh, which is interesting. You grew up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I, I guess the Packers are basically the Wisconsin home team because you haven't lived in 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 wisconsin the entire time i know you you've been mm-hmm. living at near the talkers headquarters in massachusetts uh, for for Decades, but I uh, so so. My question is: uh, Green Bay is sort of like a suburb of Milwaukee. It's actually far from it, isn't it? Hey,
8: not quite that. But about an hour and a half, a little less than an hour and a half. It's a short drive north. Uh-huh. You know, you just it's, it's it's not that far away. But you're right. It is. It's really more. They could be the Wisconsin Packers, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, but because uh, it, it's it's you know, kind of the state team,
1: and uh, they have a very loyal fandom, don't they?
8: Very much so. A, so, lot of, a lot of people would say it's because there's nothing else to do in Green Bay.
1: <laughs> well, okay, so now... Uh, it had to be a terrible disappointment, uh, this past weekend, last weekend is considered by many to have been one of the greatest weekends of football ever witnessed. I mean, the, the, the games were extraordinarily, uh, uh entertaining and, you know, nail biting the edge of seat kind of games. Everybody thought that they were going to win the game against the, uh, 49ers and, um, they didn't. And, um, there's a lot of negative uh, feelings expressed about somebody that was like a superstar wonder boy. Everybody loved Aaron Rodgers, and now he's kind of vilified. What's What What do you think is going on with that? I know it's political. I know it has to do with COVID. Is there more at play here that Aaron Rodgers went from being the darling of the media world, uh, a, a host on Jeopardy, uh, all kinds of interesting things, and then all of a sudden now he's a surly Guy, You know, <laughs> he, he just he he even looks like a bad guy. If you didn't know better watching him play, there's a surliness about him. Maybe it's just my imagination. What, what, are, you, what are your insights as a died in the wool Packers fan?
8: I think that, you know, and Aaron Rodgers said something after the game recently that he thinks that people people who are out to hate the Packers were simply doing it and cheering for them to lose on Saturday was because of his vaccination status. It was only because of his vaccination status. I disagree. I think that's not unusual. Aaron Rodgers probably isn't aware that there, there are people around who don't like him. Uh, I think anytime you're a celebrity, you're going to have your haters, but... I think part of the reason that people were turned off by Aaron Rodgers or who became turned off by him recently, part of it was because some feel that he quote unquote held the team hostage over the off season when he said he wasn't sure if he wanted to return. he had beefs with the management about not being included in personnel decisions and all these sorts of things as as the face of the franchise and you know the best quarterback to play for the team since Bart Starr um, uh, but I think the reason people were uh, disappointed in him and are turning on him for some, for some reason is, is that that's part of it. They felt that they didn't like his off-season antics. Part of it's the COVID thing. And part of it is is some people just see him as kind of a putz and kind of a diva, and they find him irritating. And, and I think that that's, that's not unusual for any celebrity. He's just seeing this, and he's very sensitive. So... He um, he doesn't like that, and he finds a reason, and I think he's picked on this vaccination issue as the sole reason when I don't think that's the case. You know,
1: we often talk about the, the rise and fall and the rise and fall of different sports. Uh, it wasn't that long ago we were talking about football maybe being on the way out, you know, with <laughs> the concussions and, and, uh, the, and the political uh, uh, strife that existed with, you know, standing, kneeling. Uh, you know, football has been at the center, as it is now, even with Aaron Rodgers and the vaccination story kind of the center of the political debate but um after this season and uh, this weekend of course this show is airing during the the championship games and we don't know at this point a couple of days earlier who's going to win and what's going to happen but um, i assume they're going to be good games as well but um, the kind of rave reviews that football has gotten and the high ratings that bill's chiefs game got the biggest rating yeah. since the super bowl what do you think uh, is the status of uh, the nfl at this point going forward
8: I think it's in great shape. I I I don't have enough fingers on my hands to count the people, especially um, uh, news talk folks. That's uh, maybe heard on the very station you're hearing this show on right now. Who said that the NFL is on its way down because they're 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 appealing, they're they're kowtowing to the wokeness, you know, with the whole you know stop hate and the campaign that um, that irritated some people. But we just had last weekend was one of the most highly watched football weekends in the history of the league. And viewership is is soaring.
1: That's the executive editor of Talkers Magazine and the owner of one share of the Green Bay Packers, Kevin Casey. And that about does it for this latest installment of the Michael Harrison Wrap. An overview of the national conversation looking back at the week of Monday, January 24th through Friday, January 28th, 2022. Looking ahead... I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about next week, including the ever-lurking unknown factor, that unanticipated surprise story that can take the national conversation spinning off in a totally unexpected direction. We sure do live in interesting times. I can be reached via email at, michael at talkers.com. My podcast, The Michael Harrison Interview, can be heard at mhinterview.com. And if you want to stay in touch with the inner workings of the talk media industry, please visit talkers.com. The Michael Harrison Wrap. Our producer is Matthew B. Harrison. Thank you for listening.
0: The Michael Harrison Wrap is a production of Good Phone Communications presented in association with Talk Media Network and Talkers Magazine. Copyright 2022. All rights reserved.